Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, May 11th. The provincial election is just over two weeks away. Have you decided how you'll cast your ballot? We get some insight as to what the latest polls have to say about Alberta's two main political parties and what we can expect to see on the campaign trail as we get closer to Election Day with Lori Williams, political scientist from Mount Royal University. Crime and safety have become major issues in Alberta and right across the country. So how will issues around public safety be reflected at the polls for the provincial election? We discuss with Kelly Sundberg, professor of economics, justice and policy studies at Mount Royal University. And finally, it's Vision Health Month. When's the last time you saw an optometrist? We catch up with Dr. Craig Meckelborg for details on a new survey about eye health, which indicates over 40% of Canadians rarely or never visit an optometrist. What is swaying voter sentiment ahead of the provincial election, now just 18 days out? Joining us to discuss the latest on the race and who is leading the pack, we are joined by MRU political scientist Lori Williams. Good morning to you. Thanks for joining us once again, Lori. Good morning, Andy. Well, you know, it's uh, polls are plenty these days, and it's you know, kind of hard to keep track, but that's where you come in. What are the polls telling us right now, Lori, as far as who's leading the race? Uh, they're telling us that we don't know, that it's uh, it's a very tight race, it's highly competitive, and this campaign is going to make a difference as to, as to which way things go. And I think one of the other things that's really interesting to watch is it's not just what people are saying in response to the polls, it's um, how likely they are to come out and vote, not just which party they're going to vote for, but whether they're going to vote. Laurie, we just had a conversation. We were talking about the Alberta party and and it not being yet, perhaps ever, an option, a viable third option for the people of Alberta. What is holding back the Alberta party from truly being a contender in this race or, or races beyond? Uh, well, at this stage, we've got a, a basically two-party two-party system, in, in fact, because it doesn't look like any other parties are seen by voters as a viable option. The primary reason for that is that folks may say that they want sort of a, um, a, a sort of a more middle of the road kind of kind of party, and a lot of people are saying that, but they've got a party that they really don't or can't bring themselves to vote for, that they don't want to win. And so they're voting for the party that's got the best chance of preventing their least favorite sort of option. So what that means is it's not just who's going to vote where. It means that at this stage, people are donating to the UCP and the NDP in much larger numbers than they are to the other parties. Um, they, they're getting volunteers in larger numbers. They're able to, to run uh, much, much sort of bigger and more sophisticated campaigns, and it and it puts those other parties at a huge disadvantage. And we're seeing that in that uh, none of the other parties is running seat, uh, uh, candidates in all 87 ridings. Interesting. Yeah. And in, in, in back to those poll numbers, I got a kind of a two prong question for you here, Lori. A, how reliable are these poll numbers? And the poll numbers we see are different than the ones that are commissioned by the parties themselves, right? So they probably know quite a bit about how they're doing internally. Don't they? They do. And and so sometimes, so first of all, with respect to the poll numbers, some of the polls are quite good. And and some of them will, as we've seen, for example, if they're looking at Calgary, which everybody knows is going to be one of the battlegrounds, the primary battleground, um, we see some polls breaking down by quadrant, but not as often by by riding, by actual constituency. Whereas, of course, the the uh, the parties are are commissioning polls and have people out door knocking in in each each quadrant within a a constituency, and they've got a much more granular look at what's going on. They've also got um, other sources of data that they're looking at, and they're targeting likely voters and trying to do that get out the vote campaign. 
as well. So they probably have a better sense of sort of which way things are leaning at a given time. But it comes down to uh, what people do on voting day. Do they come out and vote and, and who do they vote for? But that do they come out and vote part is is looking like it's a concern. Laurie, we've had some uh, controversial videos of UCP leader Danielle Smith surfacing of late. The the newest, the latest one, I guess, would be um, one of her talking about selling Calgary hospitals. Is it fair, in your view, to judge Danielle Smith for the things that she said, you know, one, two, three years ago before she became the UCP leader? Uh, this isn't, I, I, I do need to say, this isn't like some of the stuff that came up about Jason Kenney when he was running and people were, were pulling out uh, material that was, was decades old. We're talking about things that she has said actually quite recently in many cases, uh, things she's written, columns, videos and so forth. And it certainly raises questions about uh, where she stands on, on some issues. And and it does it's it's a difficult thing who, who knows what what the ultimate impact is going to be um are people just saying well i've seen or heard that before and i've already sort of baked that in to my my calculation of who am i who i'm going to vote for um but but it's not like you know decades old material that that is so far distant that you could really raise questions about whether it's genuine these are things that were said relatively recently and of course, they have both the volume and and the the uh, the recent um, dates on some of these mean that uh, people are looking at them and, and asking questions, and and I think uh, legitimately so. Do you believe that the UCP caucus is happy with leader Danielle Smith at the helm, or is she moving the needle far enough away from the traditional conservative values that some of the core uh, might not be too happy with her performance? I think it depends on which UCP. Uh, caucus members you're talking about. There's some some who are in line with some of the things that Danielle Smith has said in those controversial ver- uh, videos and some of the things she um, has said, uh, for, well, since becoming leader, um, and others that aren't happy with it. So we're hearing anecdotally that, that the folks that are campaigning door-to-door are getting blasted uh, in places like Calgary over over the things that Danielle Smith has said, uh, and and weeks ago, uh, heard there was a caucus meeting where um, Calgary uh, MLAs and cabinet ministers even were saying they don't want Danielle Smith's name or picture on their campaign signs. So in some areas, this is proving to be a problem at the doors, possibly a, a liability in the election. In other areas, it's it's an advantage. Speaking of signage, I'm curious what you think. Uh, I've been hearing a bit lately of, you know, you might be able to judge things by the number of signs and which signs are up on people's lawns in certain communities. Do you put any stock in that? Well, there are studies that show that that it, it does give an indication of which way things are leaning. Now, if we're talking about roughly even numbers or, or the percentages are very close, I don't think it does predict as effectively. Uh, but if there were, if it's somebody who's willing to put a sign on their lawn and tell their neighbors who it is that they're voting for, that not only has an, an impact in saying this is somebody who's really, really sort of committed to this particular party. They're impassioned enough both in support of one party and against another party to take a public stand. It could influence others, um, but it could also indicate momentum. So um, I've done a few election talks recently, and I, I – <laughs> I heard uh, the, some communities where there's a sea of uh, of NDP signs in neighborhoods where people certainly have not seen that before and, and weren't expecting it. Certainly suggests that there is is uh, 
an advantage or a momentum, at least within those neighborhoods, uh, whether it's enough to carry a constituency is, is the open question. We've got about a minute left, Laurie, and I want to ask you a question. It's almost like the halftime of a, of, a, of a football game, for example. <laughs> the analyst will come out and say, well, this is what the Stampeders have to do to win. And then the other guy will come out with a counterpoint. This is what the Edmonton Elks have to do. So I'm wondering, okay, if you can give us just quick nuggets. If you're the NDP and you want to, you know, uh, you know, make it with flying colors through to the 29th, what should they be doing right now? And on the other side, what should the UCP be doing? Well, there are a lot of un- unknowns, especially with the wildfires right now. But I think the campaign uh, that the NDP is running right now, basically trying to appeal to those moderate conservatives, the folks who don't see it, feel like they have a home, promising stability and, and addressing the, the top issues, health care, uh, affordability and leadership, uh, education for some is important, continuing to focus on that and just getting that, that message out. Um, again, giving a sense of the vision that you have for the future and your ability to achieve it. Uh, for the UCP, it's a trickier prospect. We're seeing Daniel Smith isn't campaigning every day. The strategy seems to be to keep her out of situations where she's she's going to have to answer um, difficult questions. Um, I think uh, a real challenge for Danielle Smith is going to be the debate, uh, and that's coming up soon, simply because she's got so many things in her record that she's going to be questioned about, and it's difficult to answer questions about them. Um, so I think what she needs to do is focus on the issues that that traditionally would advantage uh, a conservative party, and, and that that's, uh, centers on economic issues, um, and uh, you know just the, the the vision that they have, and and trying to focus on the team that they have to deliver that vision. Well, and that uh, debate you talked about May 18th, we'll be carrying it live here on QR Calgary and on Global News. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Lori. Always appreciate chatting with you. Thank you, Sue. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Lori Williams, Mount Royal University political scientist. The provincial election is less than three weeks away and issues around public safety have been top of mind for many Albertans. How can we tackle issues around public safety and how will it be reflected at the polls? Joining us to discuss is Kelly Sunberg, Associate Professor in the Department of Economics, Justice and Policy Studies at Mount Royal University. Good morning to you, Kelly. Yeah, good morning. Well, we laser in, Kelly, and talk about uh, the city of Calgary. Downtown safety and safety on public transit has been an issue we've discussed before. So how can we best tackle this issue? And what role can the provincial government play in helping? Well, I, I think transit is obviously a really important issue, but I, I think we have to look at it at the broad scale of public spaces because it's not just a transit uh, nose we're also seeing issues in uh, our public libraries and other public spaces. So when we tackle this problem, I think it's really important that uh, however it's tackled, that we keep in mind that if we increase security in, say, an LRT station, um, we're, we're going to see more issues in the surrounding area if we don't also address um, those concerns. And at the end of the day, you know, we need to get to the root causes of these problems. And that means giving great services to those who need it uh, so that they're not in a state of, uh, of, of crisis. They're not in a, in a, in a place where they feel that uh, they have no hope or that they feel agitated and engaged in antisocial or violent behavior. You know, you, you talk about the causes, and I think that obviously that's the issue we need to get at. But do we have time to tackle that before the election date comes around? So, you know, from what you've heard so far from the platforms of the NDP and UCP, uh, are, are either of them going to make a difference from what you've heard so far? Uh, not really, no. Uh, the only, you know, it's funny, the, 
the one platform that I actually think has some uh, merit, although they, I really don't think they have any hope of, of forming even part of government, um, is the Alberta Party, because they're identifying the issues around um, this criminal justice system. So when we put more boots on the ground, as, as the UCP and the NDP both are saying, they're going to hire more police officers. When we hire more police officers, if we don't also have more prosecutors, more court time, more judges, um, really we're just arresting people and pushing them into another part of the system where it's going to become overburdened, and then we're just not going to see any solutions. So we have to think bigger scale, and as the Boy Scouts say, fail to plan, plan to fail. I have yet to see any coherent, complex, or comprehensive crime prevention strategy or plan from any party. And that's the problem. If we're spending millions and millions and millions of dollars of taxpayers' money, I would like to think that someone has come up with a really coherent, Mm -hmm. well-thought-out, broadly-informed plan instead of just throwing good money after bad, which seems to be what we've been doing. So someone needs to come up with a plan. No one has one yet, though, which isn't surprising, sadly. Especially with uh, three less than three weeks till the election. Um, switching gears, but still on law enforcement, the future of the RCMP in the province has been debated by the UCP, and the idea of a provincial police force has come forward. Do you believe a made-in-Alberta police force would work, and is it worth exploring, in your opinion? Well, it's really funny that the, the UCP was all about uh, provincial police service, um, yet it's been really quite quiet about this during the election, which is kind of strange. Um, I think that the, the merits of the Provincial Police Service uh, are, are evident. I think that there's there's a lot of issues with the RCMP. We've seen um, the mass, mass casualty report that recently came out and several other reports. We've seen a number of concerns. I think policing in general needs to change across the board, not just the RCMP, but uh, all police services in Canada. We have to break free of that 1829 model. We need to get into 2023 and and understand that society's changed since the original model of of consent by policing has come about. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I think that, uh, again, it's, 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 it's very opaque. No one's really saying, the NDP seems to be saying, we're going to keep the RCMP simply because the UCP is promoting a provincial service. Provincial service, but that's being proposed by the UCP, does make sense. I, I'm guessing it's going to be the Alberta Sheriff's. That's what I think. I think it's going to be the sheriffs that turn into the provincial police. Yeah, and, you know, speaking of, like, we've talked about sheriffs and deploying them in the cities of Calgary and Edmonton proper to try and help with the rise in violent crime, particularly um, on transit, et cetera. Has that been successful? And is that why you think maybe the sheriffs will transition into being this provincial force? Well, there's not enough data to determine if it's been successful or not. Um, but I do think that as we move toward a, a different model of policing, the sheriffs do provide a bit of a tiered policing model, which makes sense. But then again, all policing, again, needs to change, not just the uh, the Calgary police or 
Edmonton Police, but all policing services, we really need to start demanding that police officers, like other professionals, have the education and training. So, for instance, investigators who engaged in cybercrime, which is the fastest growing, most um, impactful crime on many Canadians, uh, those who are investigating cybercrime, I've yet to meet anyone who has a background in computer science or um, <laughs> who actually has a degree or, or any formal training in cybercrime. It's just that they were promoted to become a detective and now they're a cybercrime investigator. This would be like going to a dentist and the dentist hasn't gone to to dental school and they're about to give you a a filling. It makes no sense. So we have a lot of things that we need to to improve and professionalization of policing is one of them. Um, Nevertheless, I think the sheriffs do have an opportunity to to really improve uh, if that is the way that the province goes. But a provincial police service does make a lot of sense. But I do think the first step is to, one, uh, look at our Indigenous uh, communities, uh, First Nations communities in our province, and help them create their own police services. Um, we see some great success with uh, Tsina Blood Tribe. Um, so we we have a lot of examples uh, there, and I know Siksika is moving towards that. I think that's great. Um, the the other component is regionalized policing, so expanding the scope of our, our large municipal services so that they can also provide services to outlining areas. And then augmenting all this or, or, or complementing all this with a, a provincial police, and if it's the sheriffs, actually does make a lot of sense. Um, Time will tell, but it's it's weird. No one's really talking about it. It's, yeah. mm-hmm. it's, it's, but like you said, we have three weeks away, and there's no plan, and everyone's just throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what it we feels like. Less than three weeks to nail the parties down on their stance. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, thank you for your time. Very insightful, Kelly. Well, thanks a lot, and I love your show, so thanks for having me. Oh, thanks, Kelly. It's Kelly Sunberg, Associate Professor in the Department of Economics, Justice, and Policy Studies at Mount Royal University. Do you get your eyes checked regularly? Here's your reminder to call and book an eye doctor appointment for the entire family because it is Vision Health Month. Joining us to talk about that and a new survey about our eyes is FYI doctor's optometrist, Dr. Craig McElbore. Good morning to you, doctor. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Sue. Uh, it's nice to join you and Andy this morning. Yeah, appreciate it. Let's let's talk about the new survey to begin with, and then we'll talk about our eye health and, and whether we take enough care with it. But uh, you've done a new survey in celebration of Vision Health Month, national poll about attitudes and behaviors of people's vision and eye health. What did you find in the poll? Well, uh, Sue, we uh, went through and asked a whole variety of interesting questions. And uh, uh, with uh, Vision Health Month, Uh, being the focus and what we found is that uh, Canadians uh, do value their vision that's that's probably the most important thing that we um, have uh, in terms of our senses but what we also found is that uh, many people about 43 percent aren't doing enough to ensure their their eye health and with this being vision health month um, uh, we're taking time to uh, uh, talk about this and, and raise awareness of general eye health. Wow, interesting. And even so, when we look at these things, Dr. Mecklenburg, the safety can come into question when it comes to, for example, even driving for some of these people who aren't checking their vision yearly. Yeah, so there's a number of uh, number of questions asked, and one of them was uh, about uh, driving itself. And almost 3 in 10 uh, drivers who require prescription glasses behind the wheel say they don't always wear them, which is uh, interesting. Scary. 
scary for sure. Uh, what about folks who, uh, you know, getting their eyes examined? How often do we do it? How often should we do it? That's a great question. Um, on, uh, on average, uh, what they found is that uh, 42% admit that they rarely or never seek out their optometrist to get their eyes examined, while the rest of us, about 58%, make that appointment at least once every two years. And kind of a good rule of thumb for eye exams is uh, children, uh, seniors, contact lens wearers once a year is, is uh, very appropriate. And the rest of us uh, adults, uh, about every two years is, is a reasonable, reasonable approach to this. And when it comes to the kids, this is something that I was unaware of until I had kids and maybe new parents don't realize it. Up until 18, uh, we've really got the kids taken care of as far as those exams are concerned uh, in the province of Alberta, don't we? Yeah, we're very lucky in Alberta to have uh, coverage through Alberta Healthcare, and they'll cover uh, most uh, or all, depending upon uh, the scenario, of uh, children's eye exams. And uh, so early detection of problems through their learning years is, is extremely important. Are um, exams for kids, as long as they're in school, still free across the province? Um, they, yeah, Alberta Healthcare does cover those yeah. eye exams, and depending upon their age and what testing is done, it's either free or very low cost right. if uh, there's additional tests that are being done above and beyond what Alberta Healthcare covers. And speaking of uh, kids, what about screen time, Doctor? How much screen time should we allow our kids to have? And does it really truly affect their eyes? Yeah, it, you know it does. And uh, within the survey, uh, they took a look at, uh, at screen time. And um, it, it's long. Uh, there's a lot of screen time being done for Canadians. So almost 7 in 10 Canadians are eyeing their screens for more than 6 hours a day. And 1 in 5 are watching our screens for 10 to 15 or more hours a day. So that's a lot. That's 3,650 hours a year, 152 days a year. And uh, this, this does have impacts on our eyes. Um, the uh, Alberta is a very dry place, uh, as we all know, um, and uh, our eyes do dry out as we're looking at screens. Uh, this is becoming a bigger problem. Our visual comfort at screens because of those high hours is uh, impacted. And uh, the nice thing is, out of all that, there are solutions to this. And uh, your eye doctor can take a look and uh, make sure that the vision uh, is uh, well corrected. Uh, we can take a look at the health of the eyes to make sure all the components of your tear structure are working properly. We can increase the comfort at computer screens uh, by various uh, computer-specific lenses that are available using uh, blue filters to enhance the comfort of eyes. So there's a lot that can be done. And uh, since we spend so much time, it's something that uh, is well worthwhile to uh, talk to your eye doctor about. And I, and I know, uh, Dr. Mecklenburg, that you, you know, might be biased. You're, you're with FYI doctors, uh, you know, when it comes <laughs> to the survey. Uh, but in general terms, if you can give us some advice, because if you move to a new area or like within the stats here, one in 10 Canadians ages 18 to 34 admit to never seeing an eye doctor. How do we find an optometrist? How, how, do, you, how do you go about that if you don't have one? That's a great question. Um, obviously, yes, I'm with FY Doctors, and, and it's very easy just to look at our website, www.fydoctors.com, and we have optometrists and, and clinics right across the nation. But um, there are other ways as well. Um, talk to your neighbors and uh, talk to your coworkers. Uh, 
there's a lot of people who have excellent eye doctors, and uh, they'll be able to find and recommend people that uh, that uh, can help out. Lots of different options out there. I, I see your team up in Varsity at FYI Doctors, and they're great. Oh, so, you know, highly recommend. But there, uh, yes, you sh- certainly search out, especially if you have kids in school. Make sure you get those eye tests done. Doesn't really cost you out of your pocket. So take care of that and take care of everybody's eyes in the family. Thanks for joining us for this Vision Health Month. Appreciate your time. Well, thank you, Sue and Andy. It was wonderful to talk to you today, and uh, and I look forward to seeing many uh, uh, patients in uh, over the next year. For sure. Optometrist Dr. Craig Meckelborg.